Hi there, I'm Lori Hellman, a mom to an incredible young adult son on the autism spectrum. My goal when creating the Living the Sky Life podcast three years ago was that the content of each episode bring hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways to each listener. The special needs parenting village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. If you haven't already, please connect with me through my website, Facebook page, or Instagram account. And let's keep the conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, please leave a rating and written review and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in and subscribing to season three of Living the Sky Life. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Living the Sky Life. My guest today is a wonderful podcaster. She is one of the inspirations um, behind me starting my own podcast because she did it first and does it very, very well. Um, My guest today is Kim Albrecht. She is a Southerner transplanted into California via the Midwest, along with her husband and two teenage daughters, the oldest of which has level three non-speaking autism. Kim hosts the award-winning Loma Disability Podcast, where over 100 expert guests have been interviewed on topics relevant to planning the future for teens and young adults with disabilities. The show deep dives into a single issue for 12 episodes and has covered disability housing, transition from school to adult services, financial planning, safety, technology, health, and more. When not in the trenches of parenting, you can find Kim hunting sea glass, hiking a trail, or on Instagram as Journey to Loma. Please enjoy my conversation with Kim. I want to apologize in advance for some of the technical difficulties. Um, My conversation with Kim cut in and out a little bit. Um, It was probably because we were on two different coasts talking. Um, But um, again, my apologies for some of the audio. So welcome back to another episode of Living the Sky Life. I have the pleasure of talking to Kim Albrecht today. You guys might know her from her podcast, Journey to Loma. So welcome, Kim. Hi. Hello. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's funny. I feel like I've stalked you for a while, but um, our our schedules just never connected. But I am always so inspired by you and your podcasts. um, And we'll talk a little bit about how you set up your podcast, but Miranda and Skylar are very close in age. They are the same age and um, are very close in abilities and things. And so I relate so much to you and your attitude and resiliency and your positivity. So I was hoping that we could kind of touch on some of those things and provide some hope and some clarity to parents that aren't there yet. They're not into the second stage. I call it the second stage of raising a child on the spectrum um, into adulthood. So um, I guess to get started, can you introduce Miranda to the listeners who might not be familiar with with you and your your family and your daughter? Sure, yeah, it's so interesting to be the the old ones around the block, I (laughs) I feel. (laughs) When we started all this, there was no social media or easy access to information. I remember being down in the basement with dial-up internet, even trying to figure out what <laughs> autism is. So um, I, I feel like there is kind of like a, a small, <laughs> you know, we're all kind of linking arms, those of us that are moving into these transition mm-hmm. years. So I appreciate you um, being in this space as well. So yeah, like you said, Miranda is um, very similar to Skylar. So your listeners, um, 
listeners, she's, yeah, my daughter's very similar to Skylar. Mm -hmm. Um, She is 18 and um, non-speaking. So an AAC user, and that's been a journey in and of itself, (laughs) um, trying to support her in communicating. Um, She will require, still requires 24-7 support and in all areas, um, intimate care and um, hygiene and, um, you know, all, all the things. Um, safety still needs to have somebody right by her. Um, she goes to an NPS, which stands for a non-public school. The district was unable to support her. Her needs were such that they just couldn't provide what she needed. So they transport her. Um 40 minutes every day to a school that specializes um, in in those with disability that Mm -hmm. presents like Miranda Um, and we like that because that where she is going to school in Santa Cruz is where we are eventually setting her up for her adult life anyway so it's kind of funny how all these things um, I, I think when I look back 30 years from now I'll be like lucky were we that the school could not provide for her needs and Mm -hmm. we had to we had to go through all of that to get her at the school 40 minutes away Mm -hmm. and then and that's where she ended up start and so it's kind of interesting to you know as we chug along and get some years and experience and um situations under our belt how we can look back and think oh that like really stunk to have to go through all of that with the school but oh gosh look she ended up at a place that is going to set her up for success Mm -hmm. in her adult years um yeah that's that's miss miranda well yeah and i um you know when we were talking about just kind of moving forward into future planning that's something that you have been you know very candid about and planning and all of that i'm sure it's a a very deep question, but, um, what, when did you start thinking about future planning with her and, um, kind of what have you landed on as far as what, what your options are in where you live? Um, so we started, I think we started really thinking about it when the reality hit mm-hmm. that, um, you know, despite we were putting into therapy despite all the you know, all the things that just wasn't going to be enough to bridge the gap of her being able to have an independent life mm-hmm. and that um and so then what does independence look like for her and what is interesting is we all kinds of different ideas. Um, and where we are now, what we have landed on is not what we originally envisioned when we started, when she was like 12 or 13. Um, I think back then it was simply too early to start, um, start thinking about, or not thinking about those things, but to start planning so heavily. Mm-hmm. Now, those that are going to be the trailblazers, and um, create campus models, um, intentional intentional living environment. Like 
that needs that takes about 10 years you know if you're going to be the person who starts this yeah <laughs> um but for us we really don't want to be in charge of other people's kids like we just want to figure yeah. out our own mm-hmm. um but anyway so we originally like early on had all these ideas but it was too early um and even now we are only planning five to 10 years in advance. We are not trying to plan out her entire life because I think too much changes, too much, um, we're we're just kind of going 10 years at a time. So our priority, when you say, what are our plans? Mm -hmm. Our priority is to make sure that we set up the finances and to make sure we set up the people, not the people that will care give, but the people that will make decisions. So, you know, what that looks like is we recently have purchased an apartment building and, um, she, we have this five-year plan too, too much to probably go into now. You Mm -hmm. can go back and listen to, I've I've talked about it on several shows before our five-year plan. Um, but we bought an apartment building. She will eventually start taking over one of those units. And then we will slowly bring in other adults with disabilities and, um, create a, little community there mm-hmm. for her, but everybody's going to be in charge of their own thing. Um, and then for the caregiving model, again, we're going to try some new things that I've never heard of anybody doing before. It may or may not work. Um, we're going to try to go with au pairs mm-hmm. or, um, and then also hire somebody with disabilities, probably physical disabilities to live on the property as well. And uh, just kind of be like the eyes on the ground there. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it, it's a long, yeah. like, complicated five-year plan, but that's the gist of it. You know, it seems like, uh, again, with a lot of parents that I've talked to with kids, uh, I always say kids, but young adults in the same age range as ours, um, it's it's kind of come down to that where they either purchase a home that's near their home that will eventually be their son or daughter's house. Um, or they purchase, I mean, I haven't heard of anyone other than you purchasing an apartment building, but I mean, we have to create these group home situations or, um, individual living situations with caregivers around the clock staffed. And we are responsible for the most part of staffing that too, because that's the hardest part. I feel like I could buy, I've even joked kind of about getting a tiny house and putting it in our backyard or, you know, having Mm -hmm. it real close to us so that. Skylar is always close to me, but the purpose of doing that would be to give him some independence and have a caregiver that's not us caring for him. But that's the hardest part for me is to find somebody willing to care for him and to do what I do every day for him. Or do you find that that's even hard now to find respite or some support from Miranda that's not you and your husband? You know, I think it depends on what state you live in. Yeah, that's true. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, we're very fortunate out here in California to have what we have. Mm -hmm. Um, we have not encountered difficulty in that area. That's good. I don't, I don't know why or how we have it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but yeah, we get respite through, you know, that's part of the services that Mm -hmm. are provided for her. And we've always had that now. California is one of, I think, six or eight states that does not have a wait list for the waiver. Right. Um, Places like Ohio, Texas, Georgia, you know, you go there, 
said, and it was interesting. We used to live in Ohio, and when we moved, we were told like you realize you can't move back because once you lose the waiver, once you move like that waiver does not cross state lines. Right. So as soon as we we had it in Ohio, and I the wait list is like ten years. Yeah. If if not longer. Um, to get it. So they're like, oh my gosh, you're giving up the waiver. Like you, you know, you can't come back. Um, so that is, I, I, again, I, I think it really depends on what state mm-hmm. you live in, what kind of services and support you get. Yeah. And that's why our future plans, um, I've mentioned it before, um, is moving. Indiana's the same way. We don't have the wait for the waiver because what they did, it used to be 10 year wait. And then they just combined everybody that was on a waiting list to a family supports waiver, which is minimal, if any services, it's, it's ridiculous. But then that, that way they can say, everybody's on the waiver. There's no wait list, but the waiver doesn't cover anything. Uh, The good waiver, the waiver that we need because of the, the amount of needs that he has, um, you almost, it's almost impossible. I mean, literally the criteria for that is you have to have, um, deceased parents like that, you know, aren't there to take care of you, or you have to have someone caring for you that's over the age of 80. (laughs) And then, or you have to have where you need like medical intervention on a weekly basis, like a transfusion or like something that you need to go and have done. Yeah. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. it. That's the three criteria that enable you to get the waiver that has any services. So we've already put into place as soon as our daughter um, goes to college and gets established that we're, Mm -hmm. we're on our way out. And California is one of those States that I keep getting pressured to move to and um, Colorado, just lots of, I'm just trying to find adult services that are sufficient and um, you know, that can really be helpful to, to us long-term. So, yeah. And I think that's an important message for listeners mm-hmm. to um, to realize and to understand that it, it, I mean, and who knows, policy changes all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's really important for families to know that it's not just a little bit of a difference of what you get from state to state. Yeah. It can be drastic. And like you just mentioned, there are several people that move and cross state lines so that they can get the services that they need. Um, so just something, you know, as people are, are gazing ahead at the horizon mm-hmm. and what's to come, that is a very, very important consideration to look into, to know what your state offers and to, um, you know, be open to perhaps other opportunities. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, at this point, I wouldn't say that anything is crazy, you know, like before I wouldn't have considered myself moving based on Skylar's needs, but if that's what he needs for us to do, and it's the best for all of us, absolutely. We'll uproot and move. We'll switch jobs. We'll do whatever we have to do. I mean, I just mm-hmm. kind of look at it like, you know, once our kids were graduated from college and starting a life of their own, if they decided to move across the country and have families, yeah. I'd move because I'd want to be around the grandkids or mm-hmm. whatever. So I don't look at it any differently of uh, doing it early, just, you know, going where Sky yeah. needs us to go. So, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. But. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Here in California, we're going to try. Um, and again, we have not gotten into the adult stuff yet. We are mm-hmm. just now starting the process. And um, the process for us is going to look like moving 
from a provider list setup yeah. to what is called the self deter wait so self determination yep is that what it's called here supported living yep where you select supported. all of the services and then the state pays you to do all of that stuff administer yeah you have to like advocate mm -hmm. you know be like go and plead your case and prove why this is need this much money for these supports and, and this setup. And so what's kind of interesting about that is, um, again, thinking ahead, is when Miranda was having a rough time a couple of years ago, which is why we had to pull her out of the school, she was displaying, um, she was just having a hard time with coping strategies for aggression and self-injury and behavior. And we were having some respite come in and there was one day in particular where um, the, you know, the respite provider mentioned, you know, she was like grabbing, she, you know, there was some aggression in there and she's like, I'm not going to tell my, you know, I'm not going to tell the boss or the agency because what will happen is she, we won't be able to provide services for her anymore. She will then go into a different category of provider. And so, you know, I was like, oh no, don't because I was worried she was going to lose services. Mm -hmm. But then upon further investigation and conversation, if we move into the supported decision making, we were told, you know what? If you're going to use supported decision making, that may be a good thing because now you have like documentation that she needs a higher level of support. Thus, higher level support equates more money for the program that you put together. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like little things like that is, you know, at first I'm like, well, I don't want her, if we're going off of a provider list, mm -hmm. we don't want her to be excluded from options, you know, for this, for these incidences that we think we, we can get her out of, which we, it took two years, but she's like, you know, back to normal. Um, we didn't want her to be excluded from these provider lists, but then on the other side, it's like, well, if you're going to go this route, it's actually good mm -hmm. to have that document. So, I don't, there's just so much to consider that parents have, you know, when you're again, peering at that horizon and thinking about what you want to do and how you want to do it. Um, <laughs> it's just a yeah. little bit complicated. Well, and I think we're just so used to being reactive. Like you said, you know, if someone would have told me anything of the sort of Skylar being classified, pretty much I'm hearing he's his, he has behavior issues. He's aggressive. Like if they're telling me that we might lose the services that we're having and he'll be into a whole new category. I hear that as negative back then. But now, like you, I think it's so important to really define what it is they're saying. And so by this, what what, what would that mean for her? And what what does that actually offer if she's in a different level? What are those provided services and you know, all of that stuff? And to ask more questions for, for me, because Skylar's not in traditional school and has not been since he was seven. Um, because like you guys, they couldn't support the one-on-one -on -one needs that he had in the classroom. Um, I haven't done an IEP in a long time. We do a different kind of a goal setting thing with um, the schooling that he gets now. But um, those are all the questions you would have asked at an IEP if they're talking about services changing and all of that. So um, mm -hmm. I guess the point is, is that you've learned too along the years to ask a lot of questions because it's not always bad. They're not trying to tell you that your child is bad. They're just trying to, I, ho I hope they're helping us get the best services and the, and the best resources possible for us mm -hmm. that we might not even know about. So mm -hmm. 
My doggy agrees. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you know, the, <laughs> he's here listening. He, he's like, amen. Um, I think that's kind of the the tricky part too when it comes to even advocacy, disability advocacy is that fine line you walk of being very real about the supports that are needed and the the difficulty of um, of supporting our kiddos mm-hmm. while being respectful of their privacy and what it may mean for them to, you know, I'll just use some examples such as toileting Mm -hmm. or, you know, even as we're talking about aggressive behaviors and, you know, we're talking about an 18 year old who doesn't want mom to talk about those things. Right. And so there's that respect. It's a very delicate line to walk, but if those things brought into light, then the assumption is, or no, then it's not realized that service, the, the level of services that are needed mm-hmm. for these kiddos. Um, so I, I think the example that we're talking about here of, you know, being told you're going to have to move to a different provider category, it, it, it falls into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it's a tricky thing to to figure out, but I would just encourage parents, you know, that are looking ahead to the horizon um, to number one, like you don't have to plan out their entire life. I don't think you can. Um, one thing that we realized early on or had like this aha moment was we did not move into our forever living situation out of the gates. I mean, how many houses and apartments and roommates and places have we lived in our lives mm-hmm. as, as people? And so it, it really took the pressure off of, oh, we don't have to have Miranda's forever situation <laughs> figured out when she's 22. Mm-hmm. Um, we just need to know like, what is appropriate for that phase of life. What is a good idea for her young adult years. Like mm-hmm. what is the, what is a good first step for her when she launches out of our house? Because that is our plan for her to um, not be independent because she's never going to have the skills to be independent, but to be independent of mom and dad doing, doing the stuff. Um, and we just need to know her early twenties, her young adult life. Mm-hmm. And then we, we make sure that we have the finances in place and we make sure that we have the people in place that can make good decisions for whatever comes next. And that just took so much pressure off of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't make it easy, you know, to get to that initial launch. Um, like, like we were saying, there's a whole five-year plan. Like each year we have this list of things that we have to check off to get her to that place um, that are not easy. And we'll see how it goes. Right now we're four years out. So it was a five-year plan. Right now we're four years out. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, we're still kind of new in it. It may, it may flop, we'll see. But, but we don't have to figure, figure out what she's going to be doing when she's 60 years old yeah. right now. We I don't just, even know what I'm going to be doing. It's not right. that far away, but when I'm 60. <laughs> so it's like. And I think that that was a big aha for us because mm-hmm. I think when we first started thinking about it, you know, when she was 12, 13 and the realization hit us, 
oh, this is going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Like she's what, what's going to happen when we're gone? Like somebody, somebody's going to have to, oh my gosh, somebody's going to have to take care of her. How, like, how is this going to work? And we put this pressure on ourselves of like, how's it going to work forever? And then as we went along, it's like, oh, we don't figure all that out. We just need the, we need the people that can make the decisions and we need, and the people that are going to make the decisions in our twenties, thirty. I mean, that's going to be my husband and I, mm-hmm. but you know, eventually that moves into the next generation, the cousins and the, they're going to be the decision makers. Um, so anyway, well, I don't even know what the question was. No, I don't think I answered your question. No, I, I don't I even know if I had a question. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally just thinking out loud. And I think that's the thing I hear the most from um, parents that are, you know, a, a lot further behind us in their journey um, with their children. I mean, they don't even necessarily know at this point if their child will become independent in some respects or not. Um, I just always hope that, you know, parents like myself and you and so many others present all scenarios. Like this may not be your scenario, but it might behoove you to go ahead and set up a trust. And if they don't end up needing it for a group home or assisted living or things like that, and they end up going to college or whatever, well, then you've got a college fund. I mean, like it's never a a bad thing to plan on some of those things like financially and to set all that in place early. And then as, as they evolve in their development, you can kind of see where you need to earmark your time and your efforts and services and resources and all of that. Um, as you go along, I think my, my biggest message to people, um, and why I do episodes like this talking about, you know, young adults that were already at this stage, um, is just to not burden yourself with these thoughts, but to not wait until they're 16, 17 and go, Oh my gosh, I haven't even thought about this. I have no money saved. I have no, no plans, no idea. Um, because that mm-hmm. will keep you up at night. And that is gotta be, oh my gosh, the amount of stress that that would add to your life is, is definitely mm-hmm. not worth it with everything else you have going on. So just, Lori, I have a document, uh, 10 P's for planning the future. Have, have you seen that document? I don't know. I I saw your, um, oh, the episode you did about the, um, oh, what is the form called when you pretty much type out every single thing that's going on with your child, their likes, their dislikes, their medicines, um, letter of intent kind of thing. Is that what it is? Oh, that was in the financial planning series. Yeah. Well, that's the only memorandum of intent. Yeah. The memorandum of intent. Okay. So I did this. I mean, this was years ago. I maybe even before I started the, but it stood the test of time. I came up with this document called the 10 P's Ooh. of planning your child's future. I'll send it over to you. Okay. Um, but like we've already, we've talked about two people. So like one of the P's is figure out who the people are going to be when your child is an adult, when you are gone. Again, not the people that are going to be caregivers, but the people that are going to make the choices. So for us, the people Tom and myself, and then it's going to move into her sister and the cousins. Mm-hmm. Those people are going to be the decision makers. So then around that, it's like, okay, how do you prepare your people to do these things? Mm-hmm. And so that's a whole nother, you know, conversation. And then the other P that we've talked about is price. So the financial aspects, setting up your trust, your ABLE accounts, um, looking at what you think is going to be necessary you know how do benefits work how do 
you know, can you do the section eight housing? Can you it, like all the, the financial pieces? Um, so anyway, I have this document called the 10 P's of planning the future. And we, we've been touching on two of them. So nice. uh, I'll send that over. Thanks. And I'll link up. Um, is it on your uh, website that people can access it too or no? I don't know. So it's, I can just it's so attach it. You, <laughs> yeah. It's so funny you say that because just the other day, somebody, I kept getting like, so all of our website, everything is like DIY, you know, we did yeah. it all ourselves. And so I've, I've got like this stuff leaked on there. There was a transitional planning document that every day I was getting like an email notification, somebody opt in to your transitional <laughs> you know, planning document, which is another one I'll, I'll share with you. Um, like, where does this document even live? Like, where are people finding this? And they're all waiting for your <laughs> so, webinar. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, like where, and I, I don't even have an email list. Like I did early on, but I don't even, I canceled my MailChimp account. Yep. And I don't even have like an email list, but I've, uh, people are opting in to this transition plan guide, like every day. <laughs> I'm like, where does it live? I don't even know where it lives. Where are they finding it? <laughs> That's funny. And it's good. I yeah. just, I clicked on it. I was like, oh, it's actually pretty good. So I'll, I'll give you that one too. <laughs> nice. I love resources. I'm all about it. Um, well, you know, we, we mentioned, I mentioned early on your podcast, um, Journey to Loma, which it took me a couple episodes and I'm like, wait a minute, what does this stand for? I love the land of milk and honey. I think that is the coolest. <laughs> I mean, I just, I love that. Um, but your podcast you when did you start that like 2017 it's been a while right yeah we're entering season six year six so okay so you're three years ahead of there me. weren't there weren't disability podcasts it was before the big like podcast boom right yeah. like now I feel like there you know there are a dime a dozen there's all kinds of them out yeah. there but when we started there weren't um, there certainly weren't podcasts for teens and young adults yeah we were the unicorn out there, mm-hmm. which is why we started it. We're like, Hey, you know, like there's where, where is it? There, there's not one out here. And then before that I was doing these blog posts, creating these documents, you know, like the 10 mm-hmm. P's and the transition thing. And, and that's why I can't find that document now because that was done before the podcast even started. <laughs> you know, yeah. So it's like living on some old blog post uh. somewhere. Um, yeah, yeah. We've been doing this now for we're our sixth year, sixth year. So ha- has the format always been you, I, I love how you have it set up that you do a series, like, so we could talk mm-hmm. about financial planning or whatever. And you do, is it always 12 episodes around that with guests that are experts in that area and parents or whoever, um, talking about that specific topic? Yeah, it, it I mean, we had, we kind of fumbled through the first 10 or so episodes. Um, and then started our very first series was a housing series because that's what was on our it needs to be redone I'm gonna I'm actually redoing the housing series probably this year or next year um because it needs to be updated like listeners don't even go listen to it (laughs) there's a couple of episodes in there that are still relevant but um it it really needs to be updated um but podcast is always just whatever I'm trying to figure out So when we first started the podcast, like we mentioned, you know, six years ago was when she was, you know, 12, 13. And we're like, wait a minute, where is she going to live? What are the options? And so I ended up doing a series on housing options. And when she was home with me, when I was homeschooling last year, I was trying to figure out like, 
I think she can read. How can I teach her to read? So we did a literacy series. So it's always just whatever I'm trying to figure out at the time. That's what's so relatable about it because, you know, nine times out of 10, someone's thinking about the same thing or has thought about it or hasn't yet. And they're like, Ooh, that's a good thought. I'm like, I was, I, I didn't even think about that. And then, you know, you mm-hmm. dive deep into it. It's not just one yeah. episode. That's what I love about, I mean, the financial one I reference multiple times and it's the beauty of the podcast is that you can always go back and revisit and re-listen. I, I hear new pearls every time because maybe it wasn't as pertinent to me at the time. And then I'm like, I wonder if she talked about this. And so I'll go back and listen to them. And I'm like, yep, there it is. <laughs> like that letter of intent or memorandum of intent. I'm like, mm-hmm. I got to do that. I just, that's the one piece I have not done yet because I just, I don't know that one hurts me. Like I just can't uh, bring myself mm-hmm. to sit down and write, you know, it is birthdays, please do this. And I don't know, it makes me sad because <laughs> it's almost like yeah. I'm writing my obituary. <laughs> but for him, mm. you know, I, I, that's mm-hmm. just a mental piece. I can't, I can't break through and I know I need to do it because, you know, I always thought that would be fun. I may have even mentioned this in the episode or not fun, but to do with other, if we all just let, like girls weekend, <laughs> download your memorandum of intent and Jessica Pate, she has the, we are brave together retreats, mm-hmm. yep. you know, like just doing it did it together at a retreat yeah so you have <laughs> you know, to cry like with. God, I, yeah, yeah I always yeah I agree I feel like that that's a heavy one but mm-hmm. same here I go back and I re-listen to those episodes all the time uh, it is like the show is packed with so much information mm-hmm. it's it's like a fire hose um it and then the show notes too I mean there's mm-hmm. just links to all kinds of stuff it's I, I haven't absorbed all the information yet yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, I agree. It's, um, it's a wealth of information and the guests are, I don't know how we get these guests on the show. They're, they're really experts in their field. And I, I say this all the time and it's true. If I can't get who I want to talk on a specific or area, I just, I don't do that episode. Um, so like we have a really high bar set mm-hmm. of, coming in to teach us. (laughs) Yeah. Well, is there um, a specific series that you got the most, you know, feedback and comments about that it was so helpful um, that you recall or one that you think was just phenomenal? I know they're all good, but is there anything that stands out series wise that really resonated with people? I think the episode that gained the most, well, I don't think I know the episode that gained the most traction and that people were super excited about was the literacy episode. And that episode, or that series, yeah, the literacy mm-hmm. series. And that series ended up being like, once we got going, we just kept going. It's, we started unearthing more and more. It ended up being maybe like 15, 15 episodes. And um, the concept behind that was how do you support all learn how to read? cortical visual impairment. How do you teach somebody with cortical visual impairment to read? Mm -hmm. Well, it can be done. So there's this, um, this amazing movement and like group of, um, group of educators that are doing some really new and unique things in literacy for the disability community. And it was fascinating. And I applied those techniques to my own kid because she was 
know, like I said, I, I do a series on whatever I'm trying to figure out at the mm-hmm. time. And it was incredible. And I'm just like, oh, what if she would have, like, what if this would have been yeah. what was done with her when she was in second grade, third grade? Because now she's like, you know, 17, 18. And, but it was amazing what, um, it's amazing what she picked up and how these techniques and strategies worked. So that one was super popular um, because it's new and it's not necessarily being done mm-hmm. in a lot of the schools. Um, so yeah, I would say that one was, was a really popular one. The financial planning, which you mentioned has been, um, consistently one that people refer to. Um, I was interested in the technology one because it, and I, I want to redo that one too, because again, when you think about, I was saying how you can't really plan too far ahead. Mm-hmm. Cause you, I think one of the things that's going to be changing is technology. So how it looks like to support our kids now may look different than 10 years from now, because there may be technology that we can be utilizing mm-hmm. to, um, to do that. So I, I found the technology. Th- I don't, I like them all because like <laughs> I said, it's whatever I'm trying to figure out in the moment yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Well, it solves your immediate need and, and issue, and I'm sure it helps others too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. Have you found that with Miranda, between like 17, uh, I know she's only 18, but have you seen like significant growth in her and even things that maybe she struggled to do um, before just in this last year or so, have you, have you seen huge improvements or huge growth in her in a lot of ways? Well, she now likes coffee. <laughs> so that's <laughs> Well, there's one. I'm like, oh, you're, you're 18 and now you drink coffee. Okay. Um, how have I seen? I just feel like, growth. like when you're um, talking about, um, the literacy section and stuff. And, um, we've, we've been doing spelling with Skylar for about a year and a half now. And, um, like you, I think every communication method that was introduced to him, whether it be PEC, sign language, any of that stuff, nothing ever clicked with him. He just, I don't, I think his motor planning, you know, precluded him quite a bit from taking to those things. Um, and so when spelling was introduced to us, I was just like, okay, you know, it's another hot, hot item at the moment of therapy and it won't work with him either. And surprisingly it has been, a, oh my gosh. I mean, phenomenal for us to see that there is an 18 year old in there and he knows about so many things going on in the world that I had no idea he was picking up on mm-hmm. from TV or conversation. And just, I think it's his willingness to also comply with this therapy and to try it and to do it. I don't know if it's maturity because of puberty or what it is, but I just, I've seen him calm down the behaviors and ramp up more trying to do things on his own. And I don't know if that's Mm -hmm. independent of him or if it's, you know, other parents that have, you know, mid twenties have said, this was the, this was the period of time between like 18 and 25 where their child really changed and just became Hmm. more independent and more willing to to help support themselves in, in various ways. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know if you'd seen it, any inkling of that with Miranda yet or nothing that you can really. Uh, yeah, but to. I think we will mm-hmm. in the next five years, yeah. you know, as we start moving through this five-year, we call it our five-year empty nest plan mm-hmm. because it is going to involve her moving and, you know, and doing more things independently mm-hmm. without us. Um, so I think we may see that, but I wouldn't say I've seen a significant difference 
and you know there haven't been any um like oh my gosh there it is yeah like we've been waiting 18 years for this happen. We haven't had any, <laughs> yeah you know any of those things um you know I listened to you talk and like kudos to you for continuing to try it sounds like you're tapping into yeah I, I, and this is something that I've like discovered I feel like so much now as Miranda's older and probably even as she was younger this would have been the case too is it's about like supporting the support it's like us learning yeah. how to support our kiddos yep. um us trying to teach others how to support our kiddos. So it, I, I'm guessing RPM, is that what you're talking about? It's, it's similar, it's spelling saying? to communicate. It's um mm -hmm. very similar to RPM, mm -hmm. uh-huh. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like, maybe that's the thing that, you know, all along, I, I, who knows? I, I, I just feel like so much of it now is us trying to catch up to them and figure out how to best but I have heard too, specifically with, um, with boys, and this is something to be careful of too, I think when you're like looking ahead to the future is that the ages that you mentioned is when things start to settle down, uh -huh. if there was behavior and aggression and, you know, so if, if those things are happening in the teen years, the mid to, you know, late teen years, I've heard that it does tend to settle mm -hmm. as they enter their 20s. So again, not pigeonholing, you know, our 15 year old big hormone yeah. <laughs> surging boy uh, yeah. into like aggressive. We talked about that earlier, like, oh, do we with the services and the, you know, do you want to pigeonhole them into this category of services? Um, I have heard that things do settle sometimes for these young adults in that area. Well, and I think you're absolutely spot on when you say, um, us learning how to support the supports and all of that, because, um, it took me a long time and it get, kind of getting into your conversation that you had on a recent episode about things that you would have um, done differently, you know, looking back on 18 years of raising Miranda. And I, and I think about that all the time with Skylar. I know parents always say, or people always say, um, you know, well, don't, you, you can't chastise yourself for things that you did or decisions you made because you didn't know. Uh, and I'm not, I just, I, I wish that I wouldn't have tried so hard to get him to conform to the way that he's supposed yeah. to quote unquote learn or put him in situations that were normal and atypical for everyone else or, or atypical for him. Um, and I just wanted him to fit in so badly because I just couldn't stand mm -hmm. the thought of, him being left behind or, you know, just not up to where his peers are. And I know that those therapies and all the things, the decisions I made were helping him. I mean, they, they were ultimately to help him grow strength and whatever method, physical, mental, whatever. But, um, I just wish I would have let him show me more. Like, this is how I prefer to hold my fork, you know, maybe backwards. It might be, you know, whatever, but this, you know, and then just me work with him on making things easier for him, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think what's hard about that is there's so much that we feel like we have to work on, mm -hmm. right? Like, I mean, we're told we go to all these therapies to be told what needs to change and what needs to be worked mm -hmm. on. And I think it's 
and and we go with that, right? Because we're parents and we we trust these therapists. We're trusting the medical model. We're um, we're jumping in. We're yeah. going all in. You know, whatever you tell us to do, we're we're gonna do it. The, I, I never questioned anything right. in the beginning. I, I didn't start, que- actually, I didn't start questioning things until I started listening to autistic voices mm-hmm. and um, and tapping into the community. Now that social media has given such a, um, a wonderful platform for some of these voices to be heard. And I was like, okay, I need to make some autistic friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, I found a few on social media and I, I reach out to them all the time. I'm like, Hey, this is happening. What do you think is going on? Mm-hmm. And they tell me, and they're usually spot on. Um, but before the only, the only avenue we had was the doctors. Therapists. Mm-hmm. Um, but now there's, there's a support system out there of humans that <laughs> feel and experience um, autism, a lot like our kids mm-hmm. that can really help us understand what's going on. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I thank you social media and internet <laughs> sometimes, for <but laughs> no, yeah, sometimes. Well, and that's the thing too. You have to, anyway, that's a whole nother soapbox I'll get on is <laughs> yeah. filtering the information you take in and how, you know, the tone and mm-hmm. not getting into ugly debates and yeah, you definitely have to be careful there. <laughs> We're all just trying to advocate and be heard and, you know, try to figure this out together. So, um, well, I, I, you've mentioned before that, um, you have a, a younger daughter also, and how old is she? Uh, 16. Oh, she, she's Kendall's age. So they're exactly this, my kids ages. Um, so what is Miranda's relationship like with your, with your daughter, with her little sister? Well, you know, early on, they were pretty close. Uh-huh. Um, as I think you see with the Sibs, you know, they're, they're as good therapists as anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they know their, their siblings really well. Um, but you know, as, as they've gotten older and her sister is off doing her own activities, you know, it's definitely changed, but she's, you know, still, her sister's still the one that understands Miranda the mm-hmm. most. And she's the one that um, I think gives us amazing perspective on things. Um, whether it's, you know, mom, stop dressing her like a yoga mom. (laughs) (laughs) Even, you know, something simple as that To I remember one time she was on her communication device and, and her sister was like, why does she needs to have a way to say, I don't know, it was some kind of to talk like a teenager, uh-huh. you know, those words need to be on this device. Um, so she's an incredible window into, again, like you talk about supporting the support. Mm-hmm. She's, she, she teaches me how to support her sister. I feel yeah. a lot of times because she seems to know like, oh, she's doing this because da, 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 da. Yeah. Um, but are they like hanging out and doing stuff together? No, no, you know, not like, not like they used to. Um, is she super sweet to her sister and, um, thoughtful and bringing her Starbucks? Yeah, yeah, she is. But it's not like she wants her sister to come hang out with her at the football game. Of course. (laughs) Yeah, no, I get it. That's sweet. They're, I mean, especially the younger siblings too. That's all they've known. 
they've grown up with their sibling needing our extra attention and things like that. So people ask me that too all the time is how, how do we manage parenting our neurotypical child that with all the time and effort that Skylar needs on our hands too, you know, and um, I don't know. I mean, I think you just do it. It's no different than having multiple kids with no disabilities. Mm -hmm. I just, you just divide and conquer, you figure it out. And yeah, well, we were really intentional about mm -hmm. that with sister, actually like daddy daughter date nights and um, just really mindful to let her and if we ever needed her to watch her sister or anything like that it, it was always an ask it was never a we need you to mm-hmm. or you have to um if we go out and want her to watch her sister we treat her like a, a babysitter like we will pay her mm-hmm. like a, you know she can say no she doesn't have to yeah. um so we, you know, we try to try to be very mindful mm-hmm. of not making her life have to revolve around the needs of her sister. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of dividing and conquering, you know, in, in all of that. Um, so, yeah. yeah, we do the same thing, except, I mean, we asked Kendall too, but we just started asking her when she turned 16 uh, and it's like once every three months, but we'll say, um, you know, would you mind if we went to this place and you just kind of, she's more house sitting because Skylar insists on going to bed at like six 30 or seven every night. Mm-hmm. And so we always make dinner reservations or plans after he's asleep. So, you know, we just say, just text if he wakes up and you know, we don't expect her to mm-hmm. do anything else. It's just to make sure the house doesn't burn down and that he <laughs> stays asleep and she's fine with that. Uh, anything else she'd be like, Nope, call somebody else. Cause I'm not going <laughs> to yeah, which is yeah. fine. I think they need they need that freedom. I mean, every now and then in a pinch, it's mm-hmm. like we have to. Um, but I, I think she sees that. At, you know, if we are demanding it, mm-hmm. you know, she she's more than willing because it's not something that we continually ask of her. And we've always been, um, we've always made sure that she has a life outside of outside of what happens here and that she can bring her life here. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's worked out fine. I, I think they have a good relationship and I don't sense that there's any animosity or regret mm-hmm. um, in the relationship. I can't imagine it, it feels there good. is. Yeah. I mean, I think it all comes down to parenting too. And because you guys have done such a great job of setting that up that, you know, that there shouldn't be any animosity because you, spend all of your time mm-hmm. on, on both. Um, well, what types of things make Miranda super happy? Um, she smiles a ton on your social media <laughs> videos and coffee. posts and yeah, besides was- coffee, she also like has a very interesting way she sits and she always sat at tables like that, like with her, I don't even know how she gets into that position. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to get out of it. <laughs> I think it started because she wanted to feel her feet on the floor, Okay, but she was too so listeners, what Lori's talking about is she sits like a frog, basically, on a lily pad on the chair. Yeah. Like her feet are are um, up on the chair. And I think that started because when she was little, her feet couldn't touch the floor. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe she wanted her feet grounded. Yeah, flat um, on something. Hmm. 
So I think it just turned into this horrible habit that we can't <laughs> seem to break. And the whole, like, you mentioned that episode, um, you know, 18, we recently had an episode that was published, you know, after 18 years, what would we redo? Mm-hmm. What did we get right? And what would we redo? And the thing I said, like, hands down, I would, that I would redo is I would have done a better job on table manners, yeah. like just, you know, making sure that she can eat meat with dignity when we are out in public and sitting in the chair is part of that because you're right. She sits like a frog on a lily pad. I think it's cute but you know I guess if I lived with it every day I might be like come on we gotta figure this out well and then she's too far away from the table to eat you know to bring like the fork to her mouth and uh anyway well what's the question okay what makes her happy um coffee coffee she likes going for walks and stuff doesn't she you guys are exercising a lot or out and about likes it I would I would say she dislikes it oh okay Um, (laughs) she tolerates it for you (laughs) tolerates it but we find it to be an important thing Mm -hmm. for her because it helps regulate her it helps the neighbors and those around us um, become acclimated and familiar Mm -hmm. to the noises they may hear as they walk by our house um, so they can hear those noises without alarm um, because hopefully they've seen her walking through the neighborhood making similar noises and exercise. I mean, I feel like that's one thing that is consistently difficult for um, a lot of these kiddos is finding a means of physical activity and exercise that works for them. Mm-hmm. And it's important. Um, I, I often find that we will go on these walks and she may be, you know, mad, stomping them out. We call them our autism awareness walks, you know, it's kind of bad, <laughs> stomping it out. Um, but then just like most of us, after we get done with an hour walk or a little bit of exercise, all that stuff that was in us gets replaced with, with the feel good Mm -hmm. stuff. So, you know, we do it regardless. And that was actually one thing, um, that we had, that we worked on pretty hard during the two years that she was home with me when she was spiraling down. Um, after being in the public schools is getting her out the door for these walks. I literally had to line chairs up every, it was like six to 10 feet apart that led out the door to the sidewalk because she would not go out the door. She would not go on these walks and she would do what we called the plop. You know, she would just like plop down. Mm. Um, so it was just like moving her from this chair Huh. I know this it's <laughs> and it was like literally just a, <laughs> a line of chairs out the door yeah. to the sidewalk um and then we brought a chair with us so as soon as she looked like she was getting ready to flop we would put the chair underneath her so that she wouldn't get all the way down to the ground because once like once she was down on the ground I couldn't get her uh-huh. up but if she was on the chair you know I'd let her sit and relax for a minute but then I could tip the chair and she would stand up so I carried a chair with us on these walks um until eventually now we you know now she can do a daily walk but it was not it was not something that she enjoyed it was not some, but it was like one of those things where I'm like you know what I'm gonna stick with this like this is one of those things yeah. where we're gonna stick with this one which I wish I would have done that with the good table manners yeah. <laughs> but that's how we that's how we got her yeah. on that like that's that's how we did it it was 
she does not enjoy it. She tolerates it, but <laughs> well, I mean, I can relate. It's so frustrating because we, you know, we push Skylar in that stroller, but when we want, when it's a nice day and we want to walk, he does the same thing. And I, I'm like, how is this two-year-old tantrum behavior like revisited at 18? Like, but he literally weighs like 2000 pounds when he doesn't want to walk. He just drops straight <laughs> mm-hmm. in, the tr- in the street or on the sidewalk or whatever. Yep. And I'm like, buddy, I mean, he doesn't care if it's a mud puddle, whatever. He just drops where he is yep. like, and puts all his energy and force into his body. And I'm like, my God, I mean, really? Oh, geez. And it's only after a handful of steps. Drop off. Yeah. Ugh. Like in crosswalks, that's always fun when the plop happens in a crosswalk yeah. <laughs> in the middle of the street. That's a fun one. Yeah. We've been there, Lori. It's tough. <laughs> yeah. We, um, like I said, I just started walking behind her with a chair yeah, and that's kind if of funny. she flopped, it would be like, get, she would, on the chair. Yeah. um, because then I could get her and I'd let her sit there, you know, for a while and then tip the chair. And then, but it was the walks that you see now, um, were not happening a couple of years ago. It was, like I said, spacing chairs out the door every six feet. And then once I got out there carrying the chair with us. That's weird um, until eventually. I was sorry to interrupt mm-hmm. you. I was going to say, that's what we were just hopeful of is that we, the more we push it and we're like, okay, get up. We're going to finish this walk. I'm like, I just, I'm not into giving into him anymore when it comes to things like that, that don't hurt him, that it's good for him. Um, cause I'm right. hoping just like a toddler tantrum, eventually he's going to realize that I'm not going to just turn around and take him back home. If he, you know, puts up a fight mm-hmm. or whatever, like we're going to go to the stop sign. We're going to go to the end of the street. We keep ex- elongating our, our walks a little bit further each time so that, you know, mm-hmm. he can, and we celebrate him when we get home, like you did so great. You know, you made it all the yeah. way around the corner without, you know, dropping. Well, what I found with, what I found with Miranda too, is it has to be the same route. Yeah. Yep. If I were to switch up the route. I would probably have to bring the chair with me. Um, <laughs> now that you know so now there's comfort because I think at first she didn't know like how long am I going to have to do this like how where are we going yeah. how, you know how but now she so anytime we travel or we go somewhere new and we walk a new route those first couple of days are rough because she's you know like how long are you going to make me walk on this you know walk this thing and there's lots of screaming and tantruming but mm-hmm. she now has found comfort in knowing how much further she has to go. I, you know, I think that helps her mm-hmm. a little bit, but yeah, it's not easy. It's like, gosh, just to get our kids to exercise. It's so hard yes. just to get some exercise. Yeah. Purposeful exercise. Oh gosh. Mm-hmm. Well, um, like I said, probably numerous times already, I so appreciate how, just how forward thinking you are and, and that you share it with everybody. You starting a podcast many moons ago was such a great resource for the rest of us. And, um, I just, I couldn't be more ecstatic that you continue to do it and you continue to highlight new things that we're probably all thinking about or will be thinking about. And you've you know, kind of done a lot of the homework for us already. Um, I always mm-hmm. like to, to end the episodes if possible with um, a piece of advice you would give yourself, maybe your younger self or something that you've learned along the way with raising a child on the spectrum um, that you think was really helpful or would have been helpful to know you know, way back when that might be helpful to someone now that's kind of either in the middle of their journey or just getting started on their journey. We've covered a lot of things, but is there any one thing that you would tell a a brand new parent um, 
walking this, walking this journey uh, through autism um, to keep in mind always? I think, um, and I remind myself of this still is have been very seasonal. So like there's a season for things. Um, for example, the no sleep thing, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, all the years, years, I don't think Miranda slept until she was maybe yep. 12, like her teen, but, but now she sleeps. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I, I think super helpful to remind ourselves that change thing. There's going to be seasons. Uh, we went through a two year, really, really hard, to, you know, where I just talked about like the walking and mm -hmm. the, the aggression and the behaviors. And I don't know how, but we made it through. Now we are in a season of things being pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I think just appreciating those good seasons where things are going well and just living in the joy of that um and then knowing that the hard like the really hard stuff is not going not going to be forever mm -hmm. um we will find a way we parents are are darn good mm -hmm. at at figuring stuff out um and figuring out how to support our kids so um a season mm -hmm. and it, nothing is going to last forever so it's just like stick with it uh, take really good care of yourself um, respect that stress is real and it takes a toll on your body um, so you know find ways to take care of yourself during those hard seasons and know that they won't last forever they may last a, a darn long time yeah it seems like forever it's not gonna be yeah but it's not gonna be it's not gonna be forever yeah like th things will turn around um so yeah you are absolutely right this too shall pass I keep trying to tell myself that and the other thing to mm -hmm. that I just when something's really bad and I'm like this is horrible like I I don't I don't know how we would survive this I try to find one thing that I didn't think we would overcome like sleep, like you said, mm. that we overcame. Mm -hmm, and I'm mm -hmm. like, well, I said the same thing about that. And here we are. And it's not even an issue. It hasn't been for years. Right. So it's just mm -hmm. trying to remind yourself of where you've come from and that you'll get beyond it too. Mm -hmm. So that's wonderful advice. I, I I love that. Yeah. 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 It's probably easier for us to get in that mindset because we have enough journey behind uh -huh. us that we can see like, the sleep thing didn't last for it lasted 12 years <laughs> but, but you know it didn't last forever we're six years on the um, other side of it <laughs> so yeah, yeah six years on the other side so yeah I, I think it's probably easier for us to get in that mind space mm -hmm. because we have the history of remembering where we've been mm -hmm. and what we've come out of and um parents of the littles that are still sleep deprived and um, you know, experiencing all these things for the first time that are so incredibly hard and difficult, um, you, you will get out of it and you're going to be so freaking amazed at yourself mm -hmm. at like, <laughs> at who you've become and what you've done. And, um, and yeah, take good care of yourself, respect the stress and figure out how to, um, how to survive through those hard, hard seasons.
Ah, well, you're right. Thank you so much, Kim. I appreciate you and your advocacy and all you do for families that you've not even met <laughs> with all of your <laughs> information that you share. And um, I'm just so grateful to be along on the journey um, with your, your podcast and everything that you're doing. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. All right. Thank I hope you, you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.